Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 31. Shall I just pray before the reading of the word? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this gathering. We thank you that we can gather around your word and, and we pray uh, that the reading of the word informs the message as we are about to hear a lot. So bless our hearts uh, and keep them open and ready to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 31. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men tra traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias said, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who called on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. 
But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. This is God's word. Good morning, friends. Is this working? Can you hear me? Sorry, it uh, fell out of its socket. Uh, good morning. It's wonderful to start the new year with you today. And we're starting a series called Reflect, where we're just looking at some of our big sermons from the previous year, reflecting on these truths as we start 2024, to give us a good foundation, a good gospel foundation, start the year on the right foot. And I'm excited to start the year with this sermon series particularly, which was called Unstoppable. Unstoppable because it traces the unstoppable spread of the gospel, the power of God in the historic early church. This is where the church began after Christ has died, after He's resurrected, after He's gone back to heaven and the church starts spreading. And this is where we see a wonderful work of God in His church and hopefully it will be an encouragement to us here today as we seek to keep living as His church with the unstoppable power of the gospel working in and through us now, we're going to be visiting some big historic truths in the book of Acts, but first of all, I want to take you back to some more recent history, and unfortunately, it's not very nice, it's not pretty. I wonder if you know who, sorry, this is working, I wonder if you know who this man is, if this, sorry. <laughs> I wonder if you know who this man is, uh, Adolf Hitler. Uh, Nazi leader, responsible for starting World War II, wanted, wanted to eradicate Jews from the face of the earth. Uh, some people estimate 12 to 16 million people. Uh, that was the amount of deaths he was responsible for. How about this man? Osama bin Laden, terrorist mastermind of 9-11. 3,000 people killed in the attacks on the World Trade center, um, but countless others from Al-Qaeda and the ensuing operations that came. I want to ask you a question today. Do you think that people like these can be saved? Well, here's another question for you. Do you think people like that deserve to be saved? These are hard questions for us to grapple with, very hard questions. Um, when it comes to salvation, when it comes to people being saved from their sin, people entering heaven, I think sometimes, though, we think too small, because maybe, maybe, just maybe, our view of God is a bit too small. Friends, today, I want to take you to witness something in the Scriptures today. I want you to witness an impossible conversion with me, and we behold, as we behold that conversion, we will see the great God behind it. I want to show you a massive picture of our God because I think that is what will fuel us to live for Him in 2024. 
as we look at the story of a man called Saul of Tarsus. Now, who is Saul? Well, most of us know him as the Apostle Paul. But as he started, Saul of Tarsus, he was a passionate, zealous Pharisee. Explicitly mentioned in chapter 8, which is the chapter just before this reading, that Saul was actually overseeing the execution of a Christian brother named Stephen, approving of that. Because he was a Pharisee who was set on destroying the church. We see that in Acts 9, verse 1, in our first one. What it takes to transform a life. Have a look at Acts 9, verse 1 in your Bibles with me. If you don't have your Bibles, then it's coming up on the screen. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Saul is a man who lived and breathed persecuting Christians. This was his life. This is what he was on about. His only desire was to see Christians locked up. Now, why is he so focused on this? As a Pharisee, Saul was very zealous about the law, keeping all 600 laws of the Torah and all the extra instructions and traditions of the rabbis. This is the way you show devotion to God. And this is how the Jewish people have been doing, living life for centuries. So you can imagine how Saul felt when some upstart revolutionary called Jesus Christ came onto the scene and started saying things that actually overturned the whole system. When Jesus started saying things like this, worship, worship is no longer about ceremonies and sacrifices in the temple, worship is through me. When Jesus says, you worship through desperately trying to keep all the laws, but let me tell you, I have come to fulfill the laws, they're all pointing to me. And this is the message that even as Jesus has gone back to heaven, his followers continue to spread all throughout the land and converts are being won to the new church. So Saul, for him, he will do anything to destroy them, to stop this movement that is undermining everything that he knows. So with a letter of approval from head office, he heads to Damascus to hunt Christians down. But things don't go according to plan. Suddenly, a light shines upon him. Saul falls to the ground And he hears a voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He replies, who are you, Lord? And the voice replies, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Saul, on his journey, he encounters Jesus in a big way. And it leaves him a completely changed man. His traveling companions, they they pick him up from the ground. He's blinded. He can't see. And they, um, they lead him by the hand. And they lead him into the city. It's a pitiful picture, actually, when you think about this. Saul is a highly respected Pharisee. He's influential. He's powerful. But here he is being led like a helpless child, completely blind. This is a man that has been humbled. What God is teaching him here is a lesson. He's saying to Saul, you're not God, I am. Now Saul doesn't eat or drink anything for three days. This suggests he was fasting. Later on it says he was deep in prayer. He's got nothing left right now but to depend on God. And Saul is being broken down so God can rebuild him for his purposes. And wait till you see the plans that he has for Saul. What happens next is that Jesus appears in a vision to a disciple called Ananias, who is in Damascus as well, and he's told to go and find Saul and help him. Uh, Verse 13 of Acts 9, have a look at verse 13. 
Lord, Ananias answered, um, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to our holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Understandably, when Jesus calls on him to go and minister to Saul, he's reluctant. To paraphrase, he's literally, he's saying, this guy is a psycho. He's killing us. He's destroying the church. You want me to go help him? It's outrageous. It's like getting a Jewish person to go give a helping hand to Adolf Hitler. But Jesus replies to Ananias with this. Verse 15. Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And friends, these verses, they set the trajectory for the rest of Saul's life. Jesus has selected Saul specifically for a task, like a master operation, choosing the right instrument for a specific operation. And Saul's purpose will be that through him, Jesus' name will be proclaimed to the Gentiles, to all the non-Jews, to the entire world, to their kings, to the people of Israel. In the timeline of history, we see right now, the book of Acts is about the spread of the gospel. We're on the cusp of salvation, going past Jews, going past uh, Judea, Samaria. And we're on the cusp of the gospel, actually going to the ends of the earth. That's what the Gentiles means. And it is Saul that God has chosen to be the instrument of this work. Saul's going to be at the center of his work. For pretty much the rest of the book of Acts, we'll see how God will use Saul in his mighty, mighty work to plant churches, uh, to stand before the courts proclaiming Jesus, uh, to write letters guided by the Holy Spirit that will inspire and guide the church for centuries, millennia to come, including us today, Ephesians, Colossians, uh, Timothy, Thessalonians, Corinthians, all written by the Apostle Paul. Saul the persecutor will become Paul the apostle, that God will use powerfully, mightily for his purposes in a way that you can't even imagine at this point in time. And it all starts right here. It starts right here. Ananias goes, he lays his hands on Saul, and Saul receives the Holy Spirit, the key marker that he belongs to Jesus now. He regains his sight. He's baptized. He'll never be the same again. He will never be the same. What happened? Well, something simple, but something very profound. Saul met the real Jesus. Saul met the real Jesus. Friends, encountering Jesus is what transforms lives. Encountering Jesus is what transforms lives. Now, let me tell you something. Saul knew about Jesus. He sort of knew Jesus, but the picture he had of Jesus was completely wrong. He thought that Jesus was a random guy that people were following along, that he was a, maybe a teacher, a guiding people, a revolutionary, a bit of a, he had dangerous ideas. That's what he thought about Jesus. But on the road to the masses, he met the real Jesus. He met the Messiah. He met the one that him, along with all the Jews, have been waiting for for centuries and centuries, the promised king. He met the one that died and was raised again and has now ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of God in power and glory. That's the Jesus that he met, the one who's crowned king of kings and lord of lords. And this Jesus, the real Jesus, after meeting him, everything changed. Everything changed. Because encountering Jesus 
is what transforms lives. That is what transforms lives. And that's as much true for us as it is for Saul. Now, friends, what happened to Saul was a special case, a very special case. Saul's commissioning as a new messenger of God, an apostle, was a unique moment in salvation history. This is a man that God used for his powerful purposes in a special way. But, friends, we don't have to wait for a supernatural revelation to be transformed. We can meet Jesus as well. We can meet Jesus right now. And how do we do that? We meet Jesus as we open up the Word of God. That's where we meet Jesus. When you open up your Bibles, it is not just a book that you're opening up. You are opening up the living and active Word of God. It is here that you meet Jesus. It's here that you hear Jesus speaking to you. It's here that we behold who Jesus is. This is not just a book. This is the living Word of God breathed out by Him. And Jesus, He wants you to meet Him. He's inviting you to do that today. All you need to do is open up your word and open your hearts to be receptive to his words. If maybe God's moving in your heart to help you want to do that, we've got Bibles up the back for, on that back shelf for you just to take home. Please go and take a Bible home. We've got Essential Jesus, the Gospel of Luke, that you can take home and read. Write on your Connect cards. Let us know on the Connect cards how we can help you along. That's what we love to do because guess what? Encountering Jesus is what transforms lives and there's nothing more important. We believe in that and we love to see that happen for you. And let's see what this new life looks like for our next point, the two key marks of a transformed life. Have a look at the second half of verse 19 with me, the second half of verse 19. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God, All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't this a man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, Did you notice what it says? It says that in verse 20, uh, when did he begin to preach? At once. At once he began to preach. The word means immediately, no delay. This was his response. Meet Jesus, preach Jesus. Meet Jesus, preach Jesus. And this is the first mark of a transformed life. The first mark of a transformed life. I mean, think about it. If you had just received amazing healing from a terminal illness, this isn't something that you'd want to keep to yourself. You want to tell every single person that you could about this amazing good news, the hope that they had. If others had this sickness as well, you'd want them to have the cure. You'd want them to know It says he went into the synagogues, Saul, and he preached that, what did he preach? That Jesus is the Son of God. In verse 22, what's it say? He baffled the Jews in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Both those titles point to the fact that Jesus is the King who has come to change everything. This man, just a little while ago, he wanted to kill anyone that talked about Jesus. And now you can't shut him up about it, Jesus. No wonder, verse 21, it said, all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? Hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? They can't believe it. What's happened to this guy? This is what transformation is all about. This preaching, though, draws some unwelcome attention. 
Acts 9.23. Have a look at Acts 9.23. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. This is the second mark of a transformed life. Suffering for Jesus. Suffering. Saul used to be a Jewish hero, defending their religion. Now they are out to kill him. Why? Because he's met the real Jesus. He's talking about the real Jesus, how quickly they turn. Now, if this was me, after hearing that people were out to kill me, I'd probably lay low for a while. I'd probably wait till the heat dies down a bit, but not Saul. This danger doesn't stop him. He goes to enlist on the front lines, the most dangerous of positions. He wants to be there telling as many people as he can about Jesus Christ. He goes to see the apostles, Acts 9 verse 26. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. Understandably, they're afraid. They're thinking, this is the guy who's been murdering Christians. Maybe this is just a scheme. Maybe he's just here to trick us. But verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas, he vouches for Saul and the disciples, they accept him. And after that official commission, I guess, that accepting, that approval from the disciples, what's the first thing that Paul does? Does he have a rest? Does he start to get acquainted, get, start his induction process into the workplace? No, what's he do? Uh, the first thing he does, so Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Here he goes again. Here he goes again. <laughs> Do you see the pattern in Saul's life? He meets Jesus. He preaches Jesus. He can't shut up about him. And he does so boldly, fearlessly, empowered by the Holy Spirit. But every time he does that too, what comes? Suffering. Verse 29. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to, once again, kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. The Hellenistic Jews, they were the Greek-speaking Jews, and they want Saul dead as well. Essentially, everywhere that Saul goes, people are now trying to kill him. They want him dead. Imagine if that was your life. Imagine that everywhere you went, people wanted to murder you. In every city you went, people who used to be your friends, actually, these are your best friends who are now trying to kill you. This is what Saul's situation was. Friends, let me tell you, he's suffering, but he's suffering for Christ. And here we see the pattern of preaching Jesus, suffering for Jesus, preaching Jesus, suffering for Jesus. And it shouldn't surprise us, because this was Saul's commission after all, wasn't it? Can you remember what Jesus told Ananias in Acts 9.15? Let me remind you, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles, and their kings, and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Here's what we see. Preaching and suffering are the marks of a transformed life. It's a package deal, both those things. Preaching and suffering are the marks of a transformed life. And this isn't just for Saul. It's the same for us, isn't it? When you meet Jesus, and you go and share the news of Jesus, I guarantee you, people will oppose you. 
remember, we shouldn't be surprised by suffering. We walk in the footsteps of a suffering Savior. He said this, if they, if they hated me, they will hate you also. As we speak the words of the gospel, it will bring much opposition in this world. But friends, hold your head up high, knowing that you walk in the footsteps of your suffering Savior, Jesus Christ. Don't be surprised by suffering. It's worth it, friends. It's worth it because you're doing it in the name of Jesus. Now let us draw things together. I just want to draw things together with two truths about God we learn from this passage. Um, how God works. The first thing that I just want to bring out from this narrative of this amazing work of God is that God saves those that seem impossible to save. Saul's conversion was something that I would call an impossible conversion. It was a conversion of someone that you thought had no chance of being saved, right? It was someone who was so far away from God, he hated God, he lived and breathed murder of Christians that, you know, there's no chance, you know? There's some people in our lives that you think, you know, I think you know the difference. There's some people in our lives that you think are not so far off from knowing God, you know, they're, they're nice people, they're quite open to spirituality, they even come visit church with you a few times, and you're thinking, this person's close, you know, they're, they're almost there. Saul was on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. This was a man that calmly watched as Stephen, one of the Christian brothers, was crushed by stones to death in front of him, and he nodded in approval for that. That was the sort of man Saul was. I remember back in 2015, uh, this scene, crystal clear in my head. I don't know if you guys remember this. Something that was so shocking that it still lives, you know, still in my head. The story breaking of ISIS, aka Islamic State. Well, they'd captured a group of Egyptian Christians. And they published a five-minute video. It was shot on a beach on the Mediterranean coast. And they lined up 13 Christians in front of them, marched them out in orange jumpsuits. And they stood behind them and they gave a speech. Uh, saying, you know, uh, we do this for Allah. And then they cut off the heads of all those Christians simply for following Jesus as their Lord. I remember hearing that story and just thinking, this is pure evil, pure evil. You know, if Saul was there, he would have nodded in approval. How can a man like this be saved? How can men like the ISIS executors be saved? How can people who are so evil, so utterly wicked, ever have a hope of being saved? How? I'll tell you how, friends. Encountering Jesus is what transforms lives. That is their only hope. That is their only hope. God works powerfully through the words of the gospel to bring about transformation to even the hardest of hearts, to bring back even the most evil of people, even the most wicked of hearts can be turned to Him. There is nothing else that we can do, but God is God. God works through the Holy Spirit. Think about this, the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, that's the Spirit that brings life and changes people. And this is the Spirit that can work to save anyone, anyone, no matter how far gone they are. Friends, let me tell you, no one no one is too far gone for the power of the gospel. No one. The gospel is unstoppable. We see this in action with Saul. The question I want to ask you today is, do you actually believe this? Do you believe this? 
I don't know about you, but I've got people in my life who I think are so far off from the gospel that there is absolutely no hope that they will ever turn to Jesus. People who don't just, uh, they're not just indifferent to Jesus, but they actively, you know, they're against him. You know, they, they ridicule, uh, they think that the church is ridiculous, they brain, the church is just full of people who are stupid, that are brainwashed, and this is an evil institution in and of itself. Impossible to save. Or maybe you've got, uh, you got someone like that in your life. Or maybe you've just got someone who, despite you asking them over and over and over again, they just keep rejecting your invitations to church. They don't want to talk about Jesus. They just don't seem interested. Maybe they're doing it politely, but they're not interested. And you've just about given up. Maybe there's people in your life that you've given up on. I don't know about you. I think there's a few in my life, as I reflect, that I've given up on. My friends, let me encourage you. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. Because it's not up to you to change their hearts. It's up to God. And isn't that an encouragement? Because God is powerful to save even the hardest of hearts. God is the God who can do the impossible. You just need to believe that. We need to believe that. We need to have faith that God can actually change even those that want nothing to do with Jesus. The gospel is the power to save. And as people encounter Jesus in these Holy Spirit-driven words, even the hardest of hearts can be turned to see Jesus for who he is. What a great assurance that the power is in God, not us. Friends, don't give up. That's my encouragement for you. Don't give up. God saves those that seem, those that seem impossible to save. But not only that, God saves those that don't deserve to be saved. If you look at Saul's track record, you might not only say that he's so evil that, you know, he doesn't, you know, he's too far gone, that there's no way he will turn, but you'll definitely say, too, that even if he did want to, he doesn't deserve to be saved. He doesn't deserve to be saved. Why would God save an enemy of his, someone who, who dragged away even women and children from the, the Christian church to be executed? Why would God want to save someone like that anyway? Why would God save someone who is so utterly evil? Why would God save someone who absolutely doesn't deserve it? Absolutely doesn't. Because he's gracious and because he's merciful, that's why. That's the only reason. That's the only reason. The good news of the gospel, and this is so important for us as we start the year, it's so important. The good news of the gospel is that God saves not those that deserve to be saved, but those who are needy and in need of his help. Jesus Christ himself said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but who? Sinners. Sinners. Saul, an enemy of God, he didn't deserve salvation, but we don't deserve it either, do we? One of my favorite verses in scriptures is Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let me ask you, when did Christ die for us? While we were still sinners. It wasn't when we were perfect. It wasn't when we were holy. It wasn't when we were lovely. It was while we were his enemies. It was while we hated God, while we treated him like nothing, while we set ourselves against him, while we wanted nothing to do with him. You know what we deserved? What we deserved, if we got what we deserved, it was to be crushed. 
but instead he crushed his son, poured out his anger on Jesus Christ, the anger meant for us, and our King Jesus, he willingly suffered in our place so that we, the undeserving, can be saved. Our God is a gracious and merciful God. And I think as we look at this story of Saul's salvation, this is something that we need to be reminded of. Saul didn't deserve salvation, but neither did we. Our God's a gracious, gracious and merciful God. If you haven't yet come to him, that means this. It means that he's waiting with open arms for you to come back to him. And it doesn't matter what you've done. You might be sitting here thinking, I don't belong in the church. Jesus wouldn't accept me. Can I respectfully say you're wrong there? Because he's waiting for you to come. He will forgive. He loves you. If you would love help to meet Jesus and be friends with God again, please come talk to me. Come talk to Pastor Matt. Come talk to um, one of your leaders, one of the leaders in the church. Pastor Ben's here today as well. If you are a Christian, I'd ask you to stop and just be thankful. Um, I don't know about you, but I can easily, I can definitely say I'm not as bad as Saul. You know, I haven't killed anyone. I haven't murdered Christians, but I know the rotten heart that lives within me, the selfish, sinful heart that lives within me, so many things that I'm ashamed of, and I'm just as undeserving as Saul, just as undeserving. And God, in His grace, He offers salvation to me, and He offers it to all of us, every single one of us too. You can have salvation not because you deserve it, but because God loves you. As we start 2024, if that truth doesn't cause you to be thankful, I don't know what will. Praise God that we get salvation, not because we're good and we deserve it, but because God loves us and He's merciful and gracious. Friends, God saves those that seem impossible to save, and He saves those that don't deserve it. Let us take these truths away and remember them as we start the new year. I want to finish with a story, a real-life story. Um, I don't know if you know who this is. Uh, his name is Jeffrey Dahmer. A show was released on Netflix, I think, early last year uh, about his life. He's an infamous serial killer. He was convicted of 15 murders and sentenced to multiple lifetimes in prison. And what he did, how he killed people is horrendous. I won't, go, I won't repeat what he did. Complete and utter evil, this man. Utter evil. But one part of his story that isn't told as much is that a pastor named Roy Ratcliffe visited him in prison and shared the gospel with him over and over and over again. Now, Dharma, understandably, he didn't want to accept, he, he couldn't really process this gospel message, that, this concept of grace, that he had done so much evil, he just kept thinking, no, like, I can't be forgiven. How can this be true? But after many, many months in an interview, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer said this. This is a quote from him. I've come to believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is the true, true creator of the heavens and the earth, and I've accepted, accepted him as my Lord and Savior. My life's in his hands. He was baptized in prison. Now, his conversion story was met with much skepticism, even outrage, I mean, think about it. Do we even want someone like Jeffrey Dahmer in heaven, a serial killer, 15 murders? He doesn't deserve it. And that's true, he doesn't. But neither did Saul, and neither do we. God saves those that seem impossible to save, and he saves those that don't deserve it. And one day, friends, one day, we will all be standing side by side together 
worshipping God and saying, praising and singing, all glory to God for his grace and mercy. Let me pray. Father God, we're so thankful to you that you have shown us grace and mercy. Thank you that despite our sin, how much we don't deserve it, you chose to send Jesus to die for us. Thank you for your love, Father God, and thank you that you are powerful to save, that this isn't just a, um, a hopeless thing, that like, you can do anything, even the impossible. Uh, may we trust in this, may we be bold in the gospel as we share May we keep leaning on the gospel as we know that you have forgiven us because of your grace. And we pray this will help shape our year ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.